Ready? Let's go. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for um, all you are doing here in this church and in our hearts and our midst. And we want to love and honor you as we come before you today, God, and uh, just want to humble ourselves. Hmm. What a precious gift it is to be able to humble ourselves. How foolish to think, God, that we may have the world figured out. Mm. Or that we would know something. Mm. Or have something to offer to you. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us and shape us as you always do. As you pour out your love over us and transform us and make us more like you. Mm. Father, we love you and desire, God, that you would just do something in us. Thank you. Thank you, God. Please, Lord, move in this church this morning. We don't just want to have a nice service, God. We want to really experience you in a new way, a new part of our life, really to grow closer to you today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Read a good amount out of um, Matthew today. Happy Sunday. What a good time to be alive. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh. All right. Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets. I'm not talking about false prophets today, but beware. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, uh, verse 15. Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Arf. You will recognize them. Sound effects, sound effects. It makes the thing more real. It, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. I'm going to read lots of, um, not lots, but a good number of verses today. So you're familiar with this passage. She's talking about false prophets. And he says, beware. But um, there's there's a few things that are like really interesting um, to, to me. I was thinking about this recently, right? Um, the punchline is one that we're all very familiar with that you'll recognize them by their fruits um, and, and a verse that is very near and dear to us but so think about this for a moment he says a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit but every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire uh, question um, why is it that a bad tree bears bad fruit and not sorry that 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 didn't okay, I didn't ask it well, because the way that I asked it does not at all uh, suggest um, the the interesting thing about this. Let me back up. Why does a bad tree bear bad fruit instead of just being fruitless? Because typically, no, not typically, but sometimes. When we think of like what could go wrong in our lives, we think of bearing no fruit. 
as being like the thing that would like that's us like things going wrong in our life. But being bearing no fruit is not the opposite of bearing good fruit. Bearing bad fruit is the opposite of bearing good fruit. And and right. Yes. Okay. All right. So then my question. Okay. So so because you know how we often get very frustrated when we bear no fruit. Back up. You know how we often get frustrated when we bear no fruit? Okay. I'm going to put some of you guys in the background. I'm going to put the background up here. All right. Oh, actually, I use the background too. I'm going to put the background up here. All right. Um, seriously, though, we often get frustrated with bearing no fruit, but the problem is not bearing no fruit. The problem is bearing bad fruit. Bearing no fruit is what we talked about last week. <clears throat> but, but, so, 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 here, okay. When I was younger, like a few months ago, <laughs> I used to, for a long time, pray prayers of this, of this sort, okay? You know, God, do not allow my, um, whatever it is, you know, success um, to, to exceed um, my character, or, or, or gifting or anointing or whatever it is. Do you ever pray prayer like that? It's safe to raise your hands. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. All right. It's like, God, don't like, whatever, whatever it is, your success, your, um, your anointing, your gifting, whatever it is, outgrow your character, right? Cause, and, and it's not, the, the sentiment of it, obviously, we all understand. We don't want to bear, um, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to get lost in, in, in those things and, and um, at the expense of, of not doing right. Okay, so then, but recently I thought about this and I was like, wait a minute. What if that's one of those prayers that like sounds really good to us because it makes a lot of sense to us, but God would never answer because it's not his will. In other words, what if we don't get to choose when, fr- when you start bearing fruit? You only get to choose if you start bearing good or bad. It, it, just like if you, you, you have a kid who's like growing up, right? So many of my, this is about like raising kids these days. It's not, it's, it's really, it's, but, 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 but that's life. Okay. Imagine you have a kid growing up, right? And you, your kid has like character problems, you know, or like, or like foolishness or youth or, or anything else. Um, but they're still growing. Do you know? So you know like kids when they're, um, when they're young, they don't really understand anything. And so you give them a toy and they're like, throw it, and you're like, okay, that's not a good thing to do. Maybe you shouldn't throw it. You've got to train you so that you don't do that anymore. Um, so here's the thing, right? Um, just because there's something about that kid that you want to fix doesn't mean the kid's going to stop growing. You would now prefer for that kid to not learn to walk because if they can, you know, if they can make a mess without walking, how, imagine how big of a mess they would make when they, if they could walk. Just use your imagination. Or Lily and Janet, you guys don't have to use your imagination. But, you know, use your imagination, right? Like, like clearly, if you, you know, are, are making messes when you can't walk, you're going to make a much bigger mess when you can walk. And so we would prefer for you not to walk because then you make bigger messes. We don't like for you to make bigger messes. But that's not the will of God, right? No parent would ever pray, God, cause my kid to stop growing because they're a mess maker. You wouldn't do that. That would be weird. That'd be bizarre. You wouldn't do that. You would recognize that there is a timeline upon which they are growing and that as a parent, it's your responsibility to... To, 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 to recognize that and not to stop them from growing, from bearing fruit, but to shape them in the window of time that you have to shape them before they start bearing more bad fruit than they're currently bearing. Okay? That's actually, like, 
That's a fairly significant thing for you to understand. Like, you can't stop the fact that you were growing. You can't stop the fact that, that under a natural life, now obviously if you're just lazy or something, you fall off. But just natural, like, you know, your decent work ethic, you're getting an education, you're working hard, you're doing homework. Just naturally, like, you're growing in life, you will have more knowledge, have more understanding. Your gifting will grow, your salary will grow, your stewardship of things in life will grow, just grow. And sometimes we're, like, frustrated because we want to grow faster. But, you know, just like you're not going to go from, you know, baby to LeBron James in, like, a day. Um, there's just, like, just, just limits in the way these things grow. But you can't stop the growth from happening. Like, it's going to happen regardless. The tree will bear fruit. The question is whether it bears good fruit or bad fruit. There's no question. The tree will bear fruit. And praying for fruitlessness in a time where you don't trust yourself to bear good fruit is not an answer because that's not something that God's going to do. He's already told you every, the tree will bear fruit. The question is just, is it good or is it bad? And it's our responsibility not to stop the fruit, but to manage the badness of it which is in the window of time before the, the fruit bearing begins to, to shape ourselves so that the fruit that we bear is good fruit. True? Like, it's just how it is. And, and like, when you're a parent, you recognize that innately, like, we know our kids are leaving when they're 18, hopefully not before. <laughs> but, you know, boarding school. But, but hopefully not before. Hopefully not before. Hopefully not before. But, but we can't keep them till they're 40. We can't be like, you know, we know that you're 18, but you still have some character problems. Why don't you just stay with us for a few more decades? Like, you can't do that. You're not allowed to. Legally, you can't do that. Naturally, you can't do that. That's not the way the world works. And it's the same in God, actually, which is, like, which is confounding and, 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 and makes life more difficult. Because if you could only take people who are not like righteous and you just sit down and don't do nothing, like, you know, like, just be fruitless so we don't, like, have it, then life would be easier. But that doesn't work. The fruit will come, you know, and, and it's not how it is. The fruit will come. It, it, it must come. It's, it's, it, God starts that clock, you know, when the moment you are born, the clock begins and you will grow. I mean, unless you're like starving, like obviously there's side cases, corner cases, but, but in the general course of the natural course of life, even if you just eat French fries and ketchup, you will grow wrong direction, but you will grow. Okay, all that to say that, all that to say that you should never be frustrated with fruitlessness because fruitlessness is actually a blessing. It's, it's an oasis. It's a break. It is not a blessing. To, like, like, do you understand? Like, like God really leaving you to your own devices would be him allowing you to bear whatever fruit it, like reflects the current state of the tree. Mm-hmm. Having a break is a good thing. That's, by the way, why pruning is a blessing. Is he takes that productiveness and he realizes this is not all going that well. So we're going to prune. And it's a blessing because it restrains that part that is not bearing good fruit and it, it, it accentuates that part that is bearing good fruit and he's reshaping the fruit that is coming out. He's not, did you understand? Like you should never, don't be all like, oh, I'm being pruned, I lost my job. Good!
good. It is a natural law, and it's inescapable that you will become more influential, have more power, your opinion will be worth more, that people will care about, as long as you are not incredibly, incredibly lazy and, and, and you know, again, you know, spend your life hibernating or something. Like, it's just natural law that you will grow, that you will come into higher positions, have more resources to steward, have more influence over people. It's natural law. You may be frustrated how slowly it's happening, but I assure you it will happen. And if it's, slow, it's, if it's growing slowly now, it will grow faster at some point. Like, you may be in the same place for a decade and be like, oh, life is not going anywhere. But then in a moment, you know, you just start to double, triple, quadruple. Like, it, 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 that, that will happen. It's unfortunately inescapable. I say unfortunately because like many of you, I have prayed actually, like, you know, God would just don't let, but that's not his will. His will is that you developed normally at the normal pace, but his will is that in the context of developing at a normal pace, that you re realize you don't have forever to address the things that bear bad fruit. You, you have to address them, otherwise the bad fruit is coming. It's starting. It's coming forth now. We're going to read a story now in 1 Samuel chapter 9, which I hope you've turned to. And before the story begins, I want you to, um, I want to help you understand um, something. It was just the punchline here of this story. This is a story about Saul when he's anointed king. When Saul is anointed king, the Bible tells us everything we need to know to understand that this is not going to turn out well. It was obvious from the very beginning. Because the, the, the seed, the foundation for what would later undo him, be his undoing, already existed in him. And I believe that God did not intend Saul to fail. I believe that God intended Saul to succeed. But the fact that Saul had something in him that would cause him to fail did not prevent God from anointing him anyway. And it's not God's fault. Hmm? It's not God's fault. It is Saul's responsibility to recognize that as he's coming into a greater level of anointing, that it's his responsibility to shape his own life so that he can steward that greater level of responsibility and not fall in its place. Before we read this, there's a proverb that, um, that uh, yeah, proverb of the day, except th today you get three proverbs of the day. Well, no, don't. They're all right next to each other. So, you know, <laughs> all next to each other. Proverbs 30. Verse 21, under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. These are all very similar things, and you're going to see the similarity in a moment. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes a king, a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Why is it that the earth cannot bear up under these things? Because the slave, so this is, we often pray that we like, want promotion, promotion, promotion. A slave when he becomes a king, but he still has the heart of a slave, he cannot do well as a king. And as a king, he bears more fruit than he did as a slave. But the problem is the fruit that he's bearing is still the fruit of slavery. It doesn't work that way. But if the slave knows that there is favor upon his life 
and that his father is a king and that he will be king soon, it is incumbent upon him to change his heart and to address it so that when he becomes king, he does not bear the fruit of a slave. Promotion and, and, and the, the, what we're talking about today, the attributes that allow good fruit bearing, are not at all correlated things. You get promoted normally as a course of life. You do not become better, better at bearing better fruit as you progress in life. That's why you can have successful businessmen who are you know, in their 50s, but in their heart, they're still like a child, so childish, so insecure. Need everybody to build them up all the time, everybody to affirm them, everybody to make them feel, you know, whatever, X, Y, and Z. It's because you're, now you may be a great businessman, you may be growing as a businessman, you may have insight and profit making and, and ability to develop customers, like all that sort of stuff. You may be able to see new products you should have, like, with, like, they're totally uncorrelated things. The tree is growing, it's growing naturally, but the worm inside the tree is still there. And not correlated at all. Not correlated at all. Do you know? Not correlated at all. The mercy of God is allow the tree with the worm to not bear fruit. But, but that's not usually his will. His will is not necessarily that. So for those of you like me who pray, Lord, do not let my gifting outgrow my character. Stop it. You're praying, frankly, I, well, I'll just start with myself. Just, you know, Conviction. God allows you plenty of time to deal with your character stuff. It's your responsibility, my responsibility, to deal with my stuff before they wreak havoc on other people. Before there is an opportunity for them to be expressed in a magnified way. Do you understand? And we have to we choose to do that. Right. Saul, you ready? 1 Samuel 9, 1. Can we just read the whole story because it's fun? Yeah. Anybody other than the first two rows want to read the whole story other just because it's fun? Okay, honey, thank you. Nobody else. Yeah. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zerar, son of Bekrath, son of Aphathiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Do you remember what we talked about? Was it two or three weeks ago? About the flock of goats running down the hill of Gilead. You guys are like, this is so awkward. I don't understand this. This is like, um, you, like I, I understand that some of these things are not normal things that Christians say and think. But I assure you, this is the way that God works. Natural endowments you pay attention to. Because they speak to something that, that they are, these are genuine things that God has given you. They speak to something that, that comes to forth to find your life. Saul, you just read his, the description. Is that he came from a wealthy family. We don't, Christians, we don't like this. We're all like about empowering people. But, but God, mm, okay. He comes from a wealthy family, that's what the Bible tells us, and he was more handsome than everybody else. You're like, I don't like handsome. I don't want my leaders to be handsome. I want them to be plain. That's why you come to church here. <laughs> Calm down. He was handsome. He was the most handsome in Israel, and he was taller than everybody else. Head and shoulders. Like, that's what it says. Head and shoulders. Like, I mean, that's actually kind of awkward. Like, if you're, you know, like other people are like, here. I mean, that's kind of awkward, actually. 
But that's what it says about Saul, that he was, uh, you know, eight, eight inches or so, the, by, by eight inches or so, the tallest guy in Israel. And that, that is the sign that God had called him to be king. So if you got luscious hair, you're a pretty good looking person. It would be like, we're Christians, we don't believe in these things. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And so affirm one another. You know? Like, sister, I love your haircut. You know, just like affirm one another because these things actually speak to and um, encourage people that they are called by God certain things. Very interesting. But this is the way that Saul is described, okay? If I've already lost you, um, yeah, all right. Three. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son, uh, Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah, and they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalishim, Shalim. They, did not, they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. And when they came to Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. Oh, that people would say that about you. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? Good senses, good, good, good intuition, very good intuition. For the bread in our sacks is gone and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. That's, eh. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. And they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He will save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come up to me. Remember when we talked about crying out to God? You know, this is like review week, I think. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is a man of whom I, I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. The day before Saul came, God told Samuel that Saul was going to be the one to deliver his people. When Saul showed up, God said, this is the one who will restrain my people. Coincidence? Let you decide for yourself. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, where, tell me where is the house of the seer? 
And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. Everything that Samuel says here is really interesting. Um, can we just like run through it really quickly and then move on here? Samuel, so okay, so Saul ran smack dab into Samuel, right, and tell, where's the house of the seer? And Samuel says to Saul, I am the seer. The reason that this is interesting is for many, but one very significant thing is that it stands in contrast with what is going to happen next, which is that when Saul tells, uh, Samuel tells Saul his destiny, Saul says, no, 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 that can't be me. It is not humility to not know who you are in God. It's also not humility to exaggerate who you are in God. <laughs> but it's not humility to not know. And Saul, but Saul does not know. And he's not, you know, well-versed here. And, and, and so he runs into Samuel and he says, tell me, where's the house of the seer? And Samuel would be like, seer, I'm, I'm merely a servant. He doesn't say that. He says, you know, seer, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm the rubbish of all the earth. I'm the refuse. I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm just, I'm just a, a, a donkey for Jesus. It doesn't say that. He says, I am the seer. And, and I, I love this. And he says, go before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. In the morning I will let you go. Samuel brings Saul. Saul's about to be anointed. Um, uh, so many fun things, no time. Okay, quickly, quickly. Saul's about to be anointed, and so Samuel brings Saul into the place of honor which he himself occupied as a sign to him that he was going to be promoted into this high place in Israel. You see, the people were not waiting for Saul. The people were waiting for Samuel, yeah? But, but Samuel says, I'm going up to the high place. It's a place of honor. They need, me to bless the they need him to bless the sacrifice. They will not eat without him. He is the one who is honored by all the people, held in high esteem. But Samuel says to Saul, go before me to the high place. In other words, you walk, and I'm going to walk in after you. And to put you in the place of honor as a foreshadowing of the place of honor which God will bring you into even though you have not yet earned that place. And sometimes we don't understand this, but, but um, when you experience these things, um, why does God foreshadow in this way? It's because in that moment when we, when we do these things, it's an opportunity to actually see the, the worm in you. Do you understand? Like your tree is not, that's Samuel's tree. This is Saul's tree. But, but because um, Samuel takes you and makes you like him, for a moment you get to experience what it's like being him. You also get to experience what is happening in your heart as you stand in that place that is not yet yours to occupy. And it's a warning of, of whether you can stand in that place or you're not ready to stand in that place yet. And so it's very interesting what, Saul, what Samuel does here. Go before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. In the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is on your mind. Wow. Wow. Wow, imagine this prophetic gift. I'm going to tell you everything on your mind. Yeah. And as for, let's start now. As for your donkeys <laughs> that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. Um, it's really important. You can't set your, your mind on the things of God if you've set your mind on the donkeys. And before you can think about the things of God, you need to get your mind off of the donkeys and recognize 
that your donkeys have already been taken care of by God. Okay. You can't think about the house of God if you're thinking about your Bitcoin portfolio. It's just how it is. You cannot parallel process. You only have one processor. You only think about one thing at a time. You cannot think about what you are going to wear, what you are wearing, how you appear before others, whether other people like you, whether you're being celebrated and honored, and, and whether your donkeys have been found. If you're going to set your th thoughts on the things of God. As for your donkeys, do not set your mind on them. Because they've already been found. All those things will be taken care of. The way that other people see you, God will take care of that. Whether you are loved, God will take care of that. Whether you have any friends, God will take care of that. Whether you have any money, God will take care of that. God does that. All those things have already been taken care of. They'll be naturally taken care of if you will choose to set your mind on the things of God. If you do not learn how to do this, you're going to be standing in the position of a king thinking about the things of a slave. If a king thinks about what he's going to eat today, he can't think about what his people are going to eat today. Because he's too busy thinking about what is he going to eat today. The slave, of course he's thinking about what he's going to eat today. But a king cannot do that. Do you know? And so the king needs to learn to change these things in his mind before he becomes king. All right. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Ooh. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? See, Saul doesn't see this. Let me put it to you this way. And for whom does the, price, the stock price of your company go up? Is it not for you? So that your shares become worth more? And for what reason does the company that you work at make a profit? Is it not so that God can bless you? We don't, it's very unnatural for us to think this way, and yet it's not pride. It's just how it is. It's just how it is that, that it is God's desire for you and your treehood to treat them to grow and to bear fruit and to recognize that everything else you need has already been prepared for you, that he has shaped the world so that prosperity actually is his will for you. Oh God, it pains me to say it. I prefer the, I prefer the cross-caring kind of message. Easier to preach. I feel much more compelled about that. Unfortunate, and I'm just kidding, not unfortunate. Blessedly, prosperity is the will of God for you if you do not set your mind upon it. And for whom? And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Yes, it's for you. But, but you, you know? Okay, and here we go. And Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? Okay, you remember if you came to retreat, what happened to Benjamin? Do you remember? You don't remember? Okay, all right. You remember what happened to Benjamin. God wiped him out. And Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. And so when he stands before Samuel, fully conscious of his tribe, now he wasn't a part of that generation, but fully conscious of, of his tribe. Isn't it bizarre? Isn't it bizarre that the first king of Israel comes out of the tribe of Benjamin? Very bizarre. Very bizarre. But you can't stop the tree from bearing fruit. So he says, Am I not a Benjamin might 
from the least of the tribes of Israel? Is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you spoken of me in this way? So God has anointed Saul. The tree is growing. It's bearing fruit. But, but, but there's something in Saul's life. There is a worm. As uh, Benoit Blanc would say, there is a hole at the center of the donut. Glass onion, glass onion. Glass, never mind, never mind. Cultural references don't do us any good. Okay, no more cultural references for today. There is a hole at the center of the donut, okay? There is, there is something at the center of Paul's call, uh, Paul, Saul's calling that, that, that undermines what it is that God is going to do. But God knows that it's there, and yet it does not stop God from anointing him. And what is it that he is there? He's about to become a king, but he still thinks that he's a slave. He's about to become king, though. And, and you recognize, right? God's not stopping this from happening just because there's something wrong with Saul. Something fundamentally, uh, very detrimentally wrong with him. But, but God is still promoting him to be king. Ah! Yeah, it's terrible. I mean... Lord, thy will be done. You know, but like, mm, help us. You don't get to choose to not make fruit. You, you will make fruit. You only get to choose what type of fruit you produce. Stop worrying about fruitlessness. It, it, this is not, it, that is go, not going to last forever. The choices you make are when you when you bear fruit, what kind of fruit do you bear? And do not think to yourself, as you know, Jesus said, well, you know, if I only had, uh, uh, then I would, you know, if I only had a million dollars, I'd give it all to God. And you would not. The Bible says very clearly, he who is faithful with little is faithful with much. He who is not faithful with little is not faithful with much. Period. The end. Why? Because you cannot change. The, the, having a bigger tree doesn't change the nature of the tree. Making the slave a king does not give him the heart of a king. It doesn't work that way. You struggle to tithe with $100 a month, you will not tithe with $100 million a month. It does not work that way. You always be conscious of your lack. And Saul, mindful how small he was, remained mindful of how small he was when he became king. That's why he fell to the fear of man. That's his undoing, is that he had the fear of man inside of him. The people pressured him to make a sacrifice in disobedience to God. And why were they able to pressure him? Because he still thought of himself as small. And Samuel explains this when he falls. I'm not going to get into that today. But Samuel explains this to him. The reason you fall in is because you are still small in the eyes of God, even though, in your own eyes, even though God has made you king. The issue has not changed. Do you know? Same stuff. Insecurity. And we're like, well, God, I would just be secure if I, more people looked up to me. You would not, actually. But your insecurity would have much greater, much more devastating consequences. When you look at what Saul is and where he is right now in life, we don't necessarily think that these are like things that are his fault. You're like, you're Benjamite. Um, generations ago, your, your, your people sinned and, and God reduced your tribe to nothing. I mean, that's not your fault. You're Benjamite. And, and, and you are in your father's house. And you didn't choose to be born in your father's house. Your father is part of a small clan. That's not your fault. And you're part of a small family. And you're the least in your family. Like, all this is not, like, none of these things are your fault. They're just, you know, you, you were just born under these things. It's understandable that you would be insecure. It is not. 
It is very tempting as believers to assume that everybody is a victim to things that are not their fault. But here's the problem. Whether or not something is your fault does not change the fact that you are drowning under the weight of that stuff, that it still keeps you from bearing good fruit. Explaining to someone that they are a victim removes any sense of obligation from changing who they are, and it doesn't change the fact that they're not bearing good fruit. Well, of course you're fearful of men. They've been mistreated by them. Like, I understand why that sounds like a godly thing to say or think. Unfortunately, it does not change the reality of what is happening in your heart. It does not change the fact that you have hatred or fear. The problem is that you've justified it, and so it will stay there. And the fruit that you bear will not be good. We live in a world that, that, that exalts the church, exalts victimhood. Stop it. Oh, you know, well, they, their grandparents were, were devil worshippers. They had idolatry in their house. It does not change the fact that, okay, it was not your fault that you were born in an idolatrous situation. You were not, it's not your fault that you experienced witchcraft when you were a kid. It's not your fault that your father exposed you to pornography when you were six. It's not, okay, those things, it's true. You're right, they're not your fault. Unfortunately, telling you that you're a victim does not change the fact that you're bearing bad fruit. It does not make you bear any good fruit. It does not change the fact that you're bearing fruit. It does not change the fact that God is not okay with what's coming out of your life. It does not change the fact that a tree will be judged by its fruit. Like, it does not, it, like, do you understand? It, and it's not, you're victim shaming. Not at all. Not in the least bit. We totally understand. And, 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 and have compassion and desire to be helpful and everything else. But you cannot allow yourself to, be, to do what Saul did. Oh, you know, I'm, well, I'm just a Benjamite. Well, you know, I'm born the son of slaves. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm, my family was poor when I grew up. Don't you know we're immigrants? I do. And, and, but, but your consciousness of it means that when God promotes you, as he will do, that you will fall from that place because this is your identity. And you've accepted this as part of yourself rather than realizing, yes, these are, thing, these are things to be overcome and I have an obligation to overcome them. I must overcome them if I expect to bear good fruit. Everyone has something in their past, in their family, in the way they grew up. Everyone in this room has something that they believe they're a victim of. But allowing you to, to be in that place, well, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. I, you, yeah, great. So when God makes you king, you'll fall like Saul did. And the knowledge of that does not stop God from making you king. I sometimes wish that it did. Because that would be mercy. But every tree will bear fruit. In Matthew chapter 8, Verse 13, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said, Foxes of holes, birds of the air of nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Oh, it's a weird conversation. Jesus he says, Teacher, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. You go. Foxes of holes, birds of nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He's showing him the worm in the tree. If Jesus were allowed him, him to follow him then, he would gain the power, authority of, the, of, of apostleship. All that stuff. But there's a worm in the tree. Which is what? The scribe in Israel was in a position of privilege. He was a religious authority and people looked up to him. But that's not the way of the gospel. Do you know? And carrying his scribeness, which you could say, well, that's not his fault. His parents probably placed him in scribe school. He probably grew up that way. Don't create victims out of people. Because God does not. Jesus is not looking at him and saying, oh, poor you. You know, if, it, It's not your fault you were taught all these things. It's not your fault that you said, it's not your fault that your parents sent you to religious school. That's not what he says. And allowing this scribe with his scribeness to come and to be a part of, he's pointing out the worm in the center of the tree. Another of the disciples said to him, Father, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Again, I quote this one because it's amazing it is amazing how um, if somebody said that today, oh, we'd be ready to stone them. <laughs> Lord, let me just bury my father. The, the, this is not, I, I know that when you read this, it may tell you to think, wait, his father died. Why won't you let him bury him? It's not what he means. What he means is let me take care of my father for the rest of his life and then I will bury him and then I will come and follow you. His father is not very likely not dead. And Jesus, let the dead bear their own dead. In other words, if you really want that, you, if your family is more important to you than following God, it's not for you. And why is it that he has such high expectations? Why is it that, that, God, that Jesus will not just simply have, you know, be considerate, be reasonable, be understanding? It, 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 because that doesn't work. It, it, it's not, that's not the way it works. If you, if you take the tree and, and, and you allow it to grow and you add power to it and anointing to it and all, all these things, and, but you don't remove that thing that is at the center. You don't remove this man. He's more devoted to his family than he is to God. He thinks he's devoted to God only because he has not been tested by being separated from his family. He refused to be separated from his family in order to follow God. And if you take that and you take that tree and you blow it up, that, that thing in him will produce fruit. It will. And it's not God's will. To, it's, it's not merciful. It is not merciful to, uh, to, to lower the standards to accept these, these things because they're ultimately just bad for you. It, it's not merciful to set Saul up to be king. And, and, but you can see the end from the beginning. You realize that this is in him and, and he's going to fail. It's, it's, God's not being mean. This is just natural law. This is, this is the way that it is. In Matthew chapter 13, there's this, 
this, this parable, which speaks to this, which is so important, starting in verse 24, the parable of the weeds. And he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared with a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the weeds and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grains, then the weeds also appeared also, and the servants of the master's house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then do you have weeds? And they said to him, An enemy has done this. So the servant said, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let, the, let both grow together until the harvest. In the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The master did not allow the servant to not allow the weeds to grow. The weeds also grow. We have to get this. The weeds also grow. The weeds, the, we, the weeds also grow. It all grows. It all grows at the same pace, at the same, they all get the same rain, the same sun, the same fertilizer, the same everything. The same everything. And, and, and everything that is in your heart and my heart now it is all growing. If you have pride, it's growing. If you have stubbornness, it's growing. If you have impatience, it's growing. If you have a desire for recognition, it's growing. I, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. If you have laziness, that's growing. And if you have like, like everything, it's all growing. If you have a servant heart, it's also growing. Like, do you know? If you're faithful with little, be faithful with much. If you're unfaithful with little, be unfaithful with much. Why? Because the measure of your unfaithfulness grows as the measure of what you have to be faithful over is growing. If you can't do one little thing, you will not do big, big projects. Now, if you can do one little thing, if you can, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's very easy to understand. When you... Um, you know, are like you know, washing your bowls or something like that, and you notice there's like one little you know thing. You like wash your bowls and then or, or your place or something, and there's just a one little piece of something that is stuck on there that is somehow a little bit more resilient to the washing than everything else. And do you know how some people just will just be like, oh, let's get that next time, <laughs> and, you know? But, and then other people like you know, like some of the people in this house are just yeah, I'm not it, it, that little that that attribute will grow as your responsibilities grow. But the willingness to just, just take care of this later, like, well, well that, that will also, that also grows. Like, that also grows. That also grows, unfortunately. It also grows. And so it, we can't change this. This is just the way that God has created the world. It's his will. It's his design. It is nothing for us to change. You, so stop praying like God would do. Now let me, you know, my gifting exceed my character. Unfortunately, that's not your choice, nor is it mine. Your gifting will grow, period, the end. Stop asking, for, like you don't, okay, I mean, I guess you could ask for more of it. I, I myself do. I haven't been convicted to stop yet, so still legal. But, but don't ask them to hold you back because of your character. Just work on your character. Yeah? And recognize that everything else will just, it'll, it'll all come forth at the same speed. At the same speed. And anything you refuse to take care of now, it'll just... Do you know, it's incredible how people who have busy themselves with lots of hobbies, you know, I'm talking about, 
not, not, nobody, not, not you, just other people. It's, it's incredible. People busy themselves with hobbies, and you're like, oh, you have two hobbies. That's not that bad. <laughs> Still time to serve God. The problem is that then they get a little bit more money, and they have four hobbies, and they have six hobbies, and they have eight hobbies, and they have 12 hobbies, and they have 36 hobbies. They love everything. They love coats. They love shoes. They love lipsticks. They love purses. They love hair. They love food. They love everything. They love everything. It's, it's, it's incredible that like small stuff can become so big. It never stays small. Everything is growing. Everything is growing. If, if, if Saul had set his mind on the donkeys, he would have continued to set his mind on everything that was his. Today it's a donkey, tomorrow's how I decorate my house. And then it's how many wives do I have? And how many kids do I have? And how are they robed? How are they like, it just, it's all growing. It's, it's all growing, and, and as you gain more money and more influence and more gifting and more uh, insight and more everything, it's all just growing. It's unbelievably growing. And so the best thing, the, the, this is what I've observed in people, the, the strengths that you have now, those things will serve you really, really well. And if you can hold on to them, and if you can, if you can do not despise the day of small beginnings, because in the day of small beginnings, if you can establish righteousness and, and, and a sound foundation in that place, those things that are small will become big as your life becomes bigger, as a tree becomes bigger. It's, it, it's, it's natural. It's just what will happen. It's just what will happen. The, there's, there's, there's a few things that I think... Some people are like, well, you disfavor some people. Yeah, I do. I, I do. And, and, and the reason is because you can see that there are, there, there are there's small things in their life that they may be small today, but like when they, be, when they grow big, those, those things will bear really, really, really good fruit. I remember, um, not to embarrass, oh, she's not here. Thank you, Jesus. When, when Carolyn was a teenager, and there were some things in her that like just, there, there were, we were, remember when you were, te- well, I remember when I was a teenager, I was a sinner, okay, I'm, so I'm not saying she's perfect, but th- there was one thing in her that like was just really incredible, which is, which is this, she said yes to almost everything, she almost never said no, almost always said yes to just about everything, and, and it'd be, you know, can we do something, you know, can we have a call, you know, late at night to go over something, yes, can you send these emails, yes, can you call this restaurant, yes, can you go pick up those sandwiches, yes, can you, you know, put away the, the, the stuff into the storage unit after, you know, courting retreat, yes, and just like, it's just always, just, would just say yes to things, even though it's inconvenient, she didn't have the money, she didn't, she didn't want to do it, and she's just like, and not, it's not 100%, like sometimes you know, things would come up, but you know, like 90% would just always say yes, and I'd be like, wow, this is, and, and that has been like the one thing that it, it is incredible how far God has carried her with just that one thing, with just that one thing, just the willingness to say yes to just about everything. Because when you're saying yes to, you know, will you set the chair straight, it, it doesn't seem like any, anything except that, that 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 same thing that said yes, like it just gets big over time. And then as it gets, as it's growing, God begins to carry you to, to um, and the quality of that, of that, it also changes, not just the quantity, but it's also the quality of it also becomes more glorious and more beautiful and more complex. And, and it's, it's just, it's, it's incredible really, the way that God grows it. And so some of you that have just these incredible, incredible traits, like some of you are detail-oriented, and it's like wonderful because it's just like, mm, if you can manage five details, you can manage 500, do you know? 
I remember um, years and years and years, like a long time ago, maybe like 2015 or so, 2016. Roland came to speak at one of our events, and I've always tried to have excellence, you know, except it was harder back then because we didn't have very many people. And so it was just, excellence was hard. It's still hard. Still see cups lying around. Jesus have mercy. But it's still, it's still hard. But, but the strive for excellence. And, and so we just pay money for a venue that we didn't really need because uh, just, it was just, it was just, that was just who we wanted. Anyways, so I, Roland came to an event and he said, wow, you're, you're, you're running an event for like 50 people or 150 people or something, or something like that. And he said, but you run it like it, there's 15,000 people coming. And, and he said, like, you, you will, like, <laughs> you know, because, because it's, the same, it's the same stuff, you know, making sure the projector is straight, making sure, th- you know, like, it's, it's the same, like, managing your team, the way that people are laid out, the way that people sit, like, making a seating chart for five people, like, it's, it's, it's the, the small stuff becomes big, and it's very natural, it will, it will grow, it will grow. It's just, is it the right stuff that's growing? I'm always amazed when I see like these things that like start small that I know that's going to become really big one day, but I'm really impressed when they're small. Like last night, last night after a retreat, I thought Zion was staying here. It's her first retreat. Welcome, Zion. It's her first, I thought Zion was staying here, so I, I thought that she was, because that's just what people do when they live two and a half hours away. That's just what they do. And then the girls told me, no, Zion's going home because she's picking up her friend and they're coming to church tomorrow morning. I was like, Zion is driving four hours to go home to do and to pick up her friend. I was like, wow. Because it's the stuff that is like, you don't ask people to do it, but it starts, like, do you understand? But you can see that even though it's like a small yes now, that's going to be, that's, a, that's fixing to become, can I say fixing? Is it like too Southern for you all? It's fixing, fixing, no G, fixing to become something really big. If you give it a few months or a few years, or a few decades, like it's fixing to become really big. People that are patient with things that are small, that's fixing to become really big. Same thing, by the way, with all the bad stuff. With all the bad stuff. After the this, this scandal with Hillsong came out, people that were in Carl Lentz's youth group when he was a pastor in Virginia, like 15 years ago, said he was always flirty with the girls, and everybody knew it. Open secret. And as his ministry and his fame and his anointing grew, so did all the other stuff. That's the way it works. What undid Saul would be, to most of us, considered very reasonable. A victim of his circumstances. His insecurity, reasonable. His fear of man, reasonable. Because of who his family was. David also was not perfect. David was the youngest son in his family and very likely an illegitimate son of his father's. Why he was despised by his brothers, why he was out in the fields. David said, I think it's in Psalm 51, you know, in sin my mother conceived me. Like, very likely an illegitimate child. David was also a victim of his circumstances. But he chose. He made good choices. When he was in his pasture, all by himself, 
with the sheep and the bears and the lion, he made choices to overcome that sense that he was a worth, an, an unworthy, illegitimate son. And so, and he goes through things that changes him from just a servant, a less than, an inferior than in his father's house. So that when the Philistines threaten the army of Israel, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? That th- <laughs> like, you know, who is that uncircumcised Philistine threatening the armies of the living God? There's something in him that he is born in worse circumstances than Saul is, but that worm is not in the tree because he never saw himself as a victim. It's the same for you and me. There's a verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, which is fairly haunting, and which I'll read to you in a moment. And then we'll close here. And Oh, it's time. Spiritual power, spiritual authority, we want it. Be faithful with and true to the little that we have. And God will make it big. It will become big. It's not some special blessing. It's the natural course of life. You don't ever look at a three-year-old and be like, oh, you're so short, I'm so sorry. Because you know they're not gonna stay short. They're about to become big. It just takes some time. In the same way as you're growing in your gifting, whatever it is, your pastoral gift, your prophetic gift, your, your, your good-lookingness gift, your gift of discernment, whatever it is, recognize that like, it may be small today, but it will become big naturally if you just allow it to play itself out the way that it would normally play itself out. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is rebuking people, religious people, and he's rebuking them for this, which you're going to see in a moment, which is very interesting. 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent to be found by him, that's God, without spot or blemish. What's that? That's just the stuff that God doesn't like right? It's our sins, our imperfections, the things that, right? And he says this, at peace. Not striving for greater position, greater this, greater that, but just at peace, content with how much money you make, how little money you make, where you live, what you work, if you're single, if you're married, if you have kids, if you don't, be at peace with your life, no matter what is going through it, going on in it right then and there, right? Be diligent to be found by him in this way. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of those matters. There are some things in them, what is them? That's Paul's letters, right? There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. 
You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. What is he saying? The religious powers, the nature of religion itself takes the, the Bible, the word of God, and it's not that it's not the word of God, it's just that God allows this word to be twisted by people for their own purposes. It's very easy for you to do it, actually, if you were to be honest. You could look at a verse and interpret it whatever heck way you want to satisfy or to justify whatever it is that you desire. Pretty easy. And Peter's saying, this is, he's saying this is very interesting, right? So Paul's like written these letters now. This is the end of Peter's life, by which point most of Paul's letters have probably been written and probably been circulating in the churches. Obviously, Peter's aware of them, yeah? And Peter obviously feels very good about these. He feels good about the wisdom of God that is present in Paul's letters. This is great. We like to hear this. Unity in the church. Hooray! Actually, Peter's humility is pretty incredible. So he's, so in his last few words, in his last letter before the end of his life, he's about to, he's about to die here. He, he's, he's building up Paul's legacy in the church. And he's saying that, um, he's, that, that, that Paul's written some, some things here, really good. Um, God's given him wisdom to write these things. The letters are really awesome, right? And pay attention to them. And then he says this, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, yeah? Okay, that's true. We know that. We see that from Paul's letters. There are some things in there that are hard to understand. And then he says this, which is, which is interesting, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Okay? And he says what? As they do the other scriptures. In other words, he's saying there is the, the, the nature of religion that, of, of a certain type of person, ignorant and unstable religious people, they take all of God's words and they, they've always been twisting them. And so when they now receive this new wisdom from God. They will also do the same thing they've always done before and twist this also in a way that allows them to be destroyed. What he's saying is what we've been talking about today, except in the religious con- context, right? Which is that because there are these people that have never been pure before God, at their heart, they've always been anxious, always striving for something and trying to take God's stuff and twist it to their own, for their own purposes. And said, when God adds something new now to the Bible in this case, but you know, in your life or whatever else, it's all the same. When God now adds something new, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to twist it and it's going to end up destroying them. Why? Because the way that you've treated the small things of God are going to be the same, thing, the same way that you treat the big things of God. The way that you treat the things that God did yesterday is going to be the same way that you treat the things that God is doing today. It's, it's the same. And unless we solve the thing that, that saves us from doing any twisting at all, that's why repentance is so important. And when you repent, that's why it's important for you to and then go all the way back to the beginning and fix all of this stuff in the middle and correct it. There's a reason why the Bible says that if you defrauded anyone, that you pay them back four times. It's because you go back into your past and you take all this stuff that is a worm in the tree and you undo it and you correct it so that it does not bear bad fruit going forward. 
And he says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing what beforehand? That the people that twisted that stuff is also going to twist this stuff. Hello? It's an, maybe they'll do better this time. No, that's not the way it works. That tree will bear the same fruit. Okay, and you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. In other words, if they've done it before, they'll do it again. Don't follow in, that, in those footsteps. Yeah. All right. Good. While we are all still young, including me, yay, it is the desire of the Lord that the, the fruit, it, it, you have little of it now, you'll have much in the days to come. Don't worry about that. Worry about what kind of fruit you produce. If, if, do you understand? Like, oh, there's nothing going through this pipe. If something were to go through the pipe, what would, it, what, what would come out the other side? Don't worry about nothing coming through the pipe. Something will come through the pipe. You know, that three-year-old will get taller. Your kids will leave home. That, that is an unstoppable force. Part of the way that God has created the world. What comes forth when that happens? Oh, I don't have any money. I'm so worried about my money. What happens when you do have money? What actually happens to it? Do you know? For about the first 10 years of my career, I made about the same amount of money. Some years up, some years down. Slightly up, slightly down. 10 years without like any real income growth, most people would be like, failure! Which I did feel that way. Roughly, honestly, very, I mean, pretty much no real change. Some years up, some years down. A lot of years down, actually. And then, just changed, just like that. And then it was double, and then it was triple, like just just on a dime, just on a dime. Not, I could explain to you the the real world circumstances of how it happened, and you'd be like, oh yeah, those are reasonable circumstances. If that sounds like it does make sense that it happened that way, but no, the reality is that for ten years, exactly the same, and then it was just like boom, boom, boom. And I give the same way I always have. Like it, it doesn't having more doesn't change any of those dynamics. I mean, you know, if you don't, don't be frustrated with the fruitlessness. That will change. I guarantee it. Even if you feel like eh, it's never going to change. It took me 10 years, it may take you 20. Like it, it, or, or five, or two. It doesn't, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. What I, I, what I do know is that it's not, stop striving after that. Just worry about what fruit comes out the other side when God pushes through more. All right. It is our desire not just to be promoted, but to stay there. It's our desire not to, to, to be able to stand in the place that God has put us. That's my desire for you. And, uh, and my hope that you'll focus on that, not how to get to the place you want to be, but when you get there, as you naturally will in your career, in your walk with God, in your gifting, how will you remain? How will you not fall? All right, let's stand and pray together.
As we're here today, Father, I just ask that you would move on each and every single one of us in this place and make us like you. Again. And transform us, God, as only you can do a deep place inside of us. And make us, Lord, faithful and true to you. We do love you. And we celebrate all the wonderful, wonderful treasures that we see in the lives of people all around us, all over this church. See the measuring tape that the ushers use to measure out the chairs. See the effort that our catering team puts into putting food out every single week. That's all wonderful, God. And I pray that those things, those small, will grow in us. They will bear fruit. And I also pray, God, the gaps, the holes, please, if we've set our minds on the donkeys, if we've set our heart on finding them, please, God, please, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Father, we don't want to tolerate the small disobediences that become big ones, the small lusts that become big ones. But we want to be those that do everything right. And whatever convictions you've put in our heart, whether we're supposed to do our dishes well, turn off the water when we're not using it, make our bed, even if no one else is going to see it, get our homework done on time so we're not running around at the last second, learn the things that you asked us to learn a long time ago, resolve our relationships in different ways, or whatever else, God, that you have for us. Please, God, help us. Delay in fruitfulness.
life is going for us. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus, and honor you. Glorify your name today. We love and honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.